there's a show called Fox I've Watched on the TV box that was first shown on Thames back in the day. About a patriarchal father with five sons and lots of drama. Not sure what to think of it 40 years on. Peter Vaughan, Larry Lamb, that's who it shows. Lizzie Spriggs, Bernard Hill, people everyone knows. Do you suppose it's a high or a low? It's time to review this old show. La 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 la. Each episode they break into song and they sing for much too long like a sub Chaz and Dave in London's core blimey East End. Cockney voices and subpar plot choices. Jesus, 13 episodes, heaven forfend. Werner from Tenko, that's who's in this. Ray Winstone, Patricia Quinn, folks you don't want to miss. Will Andy like it or is it thumbs down? From Martin, a smile or a frown, la 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 la. Hello and welcome back to an A to Z of UK TV drama with me, Andy. And me, Martin. How the heck are you? Well, my vocal cords are clearly wonderful after that rendition of the Fox song by, by me. Ah. So we are here again. We two mm. meet again. Oh, God, yes. To, um... <laughs> Explore a yes. series I've never watched before. Tell us about mm. it, Martin. What is it? Uh, it's a new one on me, actually, as well. I was a big fan in 1979, I think it was, of Out, ah. uh, the the six-part uh, Trevor Preston series about uh, Frank Ross with uh, Tom Bell, which never returned. Uh, and I really enjoyed that at the time, and I had you know I had the, the time paperback and all this, this kind of thing, and then. Uh, 20, 30 years later, it got released on DVD, and I bought it, and I sort of went, hmm, that's, it's gritty, it's, I, I, I've got to an age where the idea of dramas that might be a bit violent, or a bit upsetting, or a bit unsettling, actually bothers me slightly, I, I don't really, I'm not, I don't seek those out, so, uh, but I think that this series that we're going to talk about, Fox, is actually, because Tom Bell didn't want to do any more out, <laughs> uh, Trevor Preston was a bit of a loose end and sort of had this other idea uh, and, and it's kind of the same it's it's in the same sort of territory as Out was it's kind of in the uh, underground crime or, or on the fringes of crime yeah. in London in London yeah and um, and so it's sort of it's, I don't know it feels like a sort of a bit of a sequel although I know it isn't executive produced by Verity Lambert who was responsible mm. for Out and was in charge of drama at Thames TV at this time. Euston Films, mate. Was it Euston Films? No, this is Thames. I thought, she was, I thought it was just Euston. No, it's I Thames. Know, but I, I thought it was made by Euston for Thames. Ah, made by Euston for Thames. Maybe she was head of Thames, so maybe she was head of Euston by this point. Oh, it's confusing. Um, anyway, she approached Trevor Preston to say mm. she'd loved out, um, come up with half a dozen ideas for me, and he did. And out of those, she chose Fox. Uh, or maybe she chose all of his ideas. <laughs> no, she chose this one. <laughs> and he threw everything that he had for the other five ideas into Fox. <laughs> no, Preston calls this a television novel, which I'll come Does back he? to. That. Yes. And, okay. and this is a quote. The creative audacity of it appealed to her. She was so excited about it that it started shooting before he'd started writing the later episodes. <gasps> uh, yeah, Preston, Preston said... <laughs> It has the audience attraction of running over a period long enough for them to relate to and get involved with the central characters. 
It also has enough dramatic flexibility never to become predictable. One writer, one director, so no confusion of styles. 100% continuity in both the writing and the interpretation. In a way, it is a natural extension of Out, a larger canvas, a sort of South London godfather. There you go. Well, interesting. Yeah. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so, so this is something else we need to blame Verity Lambert for. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well. Yeah, as I well mean, as GBH. You go through phases in television, and I think there was a phase in television that said that this kind of drama was interesting television. And I think at the moment we're going through a phase where people think that this time, a different type of drama, is what is proper television. So you, all the writers are writing this a particular type of television, which I personally find completely unengaging. So I don't watch a lot of modern drama. Right. But but uh, nevertheless, it it seems now that um, the model for dramas is is very much very snappy, very cutty, very single camera, very. Oh, you must have a you know you must have a lot of backstory. You must have a massive, massive, massive surprising cliffhanger, which everybody can see coming because they're expecting a massive, massive surprising cliffhanger. You must have a helicopter explode. I've got to get that in <laughs> every time. <laughs> but uh, and but what I think is that uh, the Lambert model, if you like the the Lambert no the Lambert <laughs> model. The no more singing, model. please. Don't make me sing anymore. Well, you know, what I mean is there is a, there is a there's a sort of a thread through to things like GBH. Yeah. That that I know uh, GBH has is, is, is in your burning in in Andy's hell. Yeah. <laughs> but but the thing about no, it it's is, not in is, my hell. I expunged it totally. It doesn't exist in, in anymore. Con- well, okay, but in contemporary drama, there's a stylistic approach that seems used in films specifically and. And that kind of production seems to have a very similar feel. Right. So actually, something like GBH can feel very similar in tone. I'm not saying necessarily in subject matter, but in tone, it feels very connected to... I, I we agree. We are going to do contemporary urban dramas, and contemporary urban dramas look like this. And for about 10 years, 10, 15 years, that's what they looked like. And yeah. then it changed. And, and, and contemporary urban dramas now looks different yeah and i think what it is about them is they're not very um what's the word not that they're not very controlled they're very indulgent and they can go every which way and they can Mm. be very meandering um Mm. i think it's interesting that um it 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 seems to have far too much rope with which to hang itself Mm. um and maybe there is one directorial throughput and one writing throughput but I think it might have actually benefited from different writers and different directors. Well, I mean, <laughs> it is interesting because you said that about GBH as well, actually. Yes. One one director, one oh. writer thing. It, it, it started to go up. It needed to be stopped. <laughs> well, it, it's script editors, isn't it? You know, you do feel that script editors yeah. need to be... When it's the sort of auteur model, I suppose it is the auteur model. Yeah, it is. The single vision model you really need somebody to actually go, maybe not. Yeah. Interestingly to me, I hadn't made the connection until I did a bit of background on this that Te- Trevor Preston did Ace of Wands. Uh, oh. Ace of Wands, or worked on Ace of Wands. I'm not, I think he may even have created Ace of Wands. Okay. And Ace of Wands has got such a lot of, in, I know it's children's television, yeah. but it's got such a lot of love uh, towards yeah. it, even though a lot of it's missing. Mm. But that 10 years from... Ace of Wands in 1970 brings us through to this model, if you like.
I mean, uh, Preston's got, in terms of his television credits, you know, he's he works on things like Callum, you know. He was, he was the series creator on Ace of Wands, you know. But uh, he works on things like Special Branch and, um, you know, shows the the, the, the Sweeney, you know. The, the yeah, Hazel, of course. The, the, those kinds of uh, detective dramas. And, and I'd obviously built a reputation to get to what I want to do, adult dramas rather than... Um, necessarily staying in children's drama yeah and i think uh ultimately fox is kind of i would say that's the culmination of that uh it doesn't seem to have been a particularly successful series indeed so i should also just mention that the those quotes were from richard marson's biography of verity lambert which is very mm -hmm. good um just to give reference there and um, one quote from it also to do with Fox, um, is Verity talking about it. Trevor had a very strong view about what he wanted. Mm. I don't think we tried to push it in any direction. It, was, it just was a wonderful story about this sprawling family. I thought it was very good because it showed the differences in family, how various people can go different ways or can't, as the case may be. It was a piece of work which had its own very strong direction in the writing, um, which... I'm not convinced about Verity. But anyway, it failed to make the TV top 20. It was not regarded as a success. And to me, I can see it, it really does not fit with an ITV audience. For, there's elements of it which are, are odd or not mainstream. And it was later repeated on Channel 4, which I think is perhaps a better fit for it. Yes, it certainly has that vague air of... Um... Uh, what you might think of as uh, our friends in the north has a similar, funnily enough, a similar gritty feel to. It. I mean, they, it's a different beast, but yeah. but it has that sort of on shot on film, multi part, you know. But you know, if quotes event television, Fox feels a bit forgotten to me. It feels a bit. Um, I I know it existed, and I'm sure it was pushed like hell. I mean, it was what March to June. 1980 so it's a it's a full quarter was, of television apparently it was massive massively pushed and there was a massive press junket loads of loads of glossy publicity material and it made no difference however much they pushed it and i think it was the wrong channel but more than that i think it was just far too indulgent far too long and yeah i mean we come on to characters um in due course but i think it was actually it's not as epic as it likes to think it only takes place over eight months, which makes it very different to our friends. It's very intimate. It's, it's, so it's very intimate in that sense, but not in a way that actually is engaging. It's more in a way like a soap in that sense. But I mean, there's so many issues I have with it that we'll come to. I mean, there's loads of domestic violence, which I can't cope with. Um, there's, it's very male-centric. Women are very secondary and they're satellites around the men. Um, but the worst thing about it for me, of all of it, was that every episode, which is why I did my song at the start, has this fucking weird musical commentary song. Yes. Which is just utterly bizarre, and I could not believe it. I think it's a stylistic um, choice. I actually... Oh, absolutely, I, it is, I, I but just it's felt terrible. I think that on some level, Trevor Preston wanted to be a songwriter, and mm. it feels mm -hmm. to me like there was, there was an album... I don't know whether there was a tie-in album to... <laughs> to it but, <laughs> Let's, i really want the album just so i can put it on when i'm really depressed just to make me laugh because I th well yeah I, I, it, I genuinely felt there must be it must have been almost like because stylistically it suddenly goes somewhere else 
And I know Bonkers. that we are, I mean, I suppose it's a, a, a sort of take on Dennis Potter using actual <gasps> songs. But it works there and it yeah. absolutely doesn't here, does no, it? No, but I just felt I mean, maybe that was his yeah. take on, on that notion. I think as Pennies from Heaven had already been out by that stage, hadn't it? So, yeah. And had won all the the awards and maybe he's just thinking i've got to put songs in it that's the way to win yeah, awards. Get awards that's how i get awards <laughs> if i put songs in, if i write all the songs i, I sing all the songs do the theme tune yes. yeah it's i mean the first episode um we'll get into shortly but king billy there's a song all about peter vaughan's character yes. billy and it's like this sub Chaz and dave music yes um striding around billy big balls and it's singing singing what's going on as he's walking around his manor yeah and and i thought oh this is just a one-off that's quite interesting yeah. And then every episode, yeah. you have these terrible songs. Some of them aren't Chaz and Dave so much mm. as, as, as weird sort of like Blues very numbers. basically written love yeah. songs. Mm. My favourite one, well, not my favourite, because the last episode was, a, was amazing. I couldn't believe how bad it was, the last episode. <laughs> but the, um, there's one where it's the, um, the one set in Margate, right. and they're singing, two up for trouble and the game's going down. <laughs> that one we've been singing all around the house for the last few weeks. Snooker looping, that's what we, them and us and us and we, we'll show you what we can oh. do with a load of balls on a snooker queue. Sorry. Oh, honestly. But in the last, very last episode, I know we're get, we shouldn't get here yeah. too soon, but <clears> it's <throat> the most amazing piece of banal, hideous 80s commercial music where they just shout out products. Mm. Like, and... Um, and things from life like roller discos and they suddenly keeps shouting car park. Mm. That's something else we've been doing at home is suddenly randomly shouting out the phrase car park. Oh, do you do it to the <laughs> do you do it to the, the, the blur track? Car park <laughs> <laughs> At least there would be a reason for that, but in this there wasn't. It was just such such a bizarre choice. Anyway, and um, we'll we'll come on to those yeah. as we get into the episodes. Um I suppose so we haven't. Let's, we haven't talk, done, let's talk about the cast. Well, we haven't, we haven't done the actual. Uh, the, oh, go for it. The, yes, go for the, it. You uh, do the synopsis. Uh, the synopsis Mr. Off, Mr. off the back of Mr. Holmes. Off church DVD. <laughs> well, this is a. Martin Andrew Ward Holmes will now read the synopsis. This is, uh, well, this is a uh, 13 part, uh, 13 hour long episode, or 50 minute episode. Uh, that ran. Oh, is it 13 years though? It feels like 13 it, well, years. Well, <laughs> and yes, I, I, well, it's funny because you said that, wasn't it? You, the, the, I, I kept thinking, well, that was only about three weeks ago in this, and that was, and this is yesterday. So the actual 13 weeks run of the, the show feels longer than the actual time it seems, what you said it was eight months, but it, it really doesn't feel like there's a lot of time going on, especially when you no. get to certain relationships. Well, relationship issues that come up later. But anyway, according to the back of the DVD, here we go. I, I, I don't know whether I should attempt my cockney. Shall I attempt my cockney, Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we can record two versions. Go with the cockney first no, and we'll not. see whether we like yeah, it. I feel Fox, Fox, Foxy's writer. Fox is writer Trevor <laughs> Preston's magnum opus about a South London family <laughs> who have lived in the Clapham area for generations. A microcosm of London and the way it has changed. The series follows the ups and downs and conflicts within the family. A patriarch who rules his family with a ooh, here we go, mixture of benevolence and despotism. King Billy, Peter Vaughan, is a retired Covent Garden pot. pot I say potter here. Porter. Covent Garden porter. So he's not actually a villain. <clears throat> And his family consists of his second wife, Connie, his five sons, Vin, Bernard Hill, Ray, Derek O'Connor, Joey, Larry Lamb. I can never remember who Larry Lamb is. 
Kenny, really? Ray Winston, and Phil. I can I can never remember his name. Okay, so it's that actor oh, okay. who was in in Triangle. That's all I can remember. It's that bloke who was in Triangle. That's, <laughs> that's an awful, know, awful actor for someone who was in Triangle. I nearly met him once, and I still can never remember his blooming name. Uh, and and Phil. <laughs> I nearly met him once. Martin's brush with the stars. I, I, I nearly never, met I never the bloke off Triangle. <laughs> well, I'll, yes, anyway, I'll carry on. I'll about that in a minute. And, and <laughs> Phil Eamon Boland. Written and directed on a scale which is seldom attempted on television nowadays. Each Bollocks. of the 13 episodes brings a depth and richness to both the characters and situation. From Billy's 70th birthday to Kenny's horror at accidentally killing his boxing opponent. From Vin trying to cope with a deaf son to raise brushes with the law. The script, direction and acting are pitch perfect. And this is... Well, Who wrote this? This is well, it wasn't you, obviously. And this is arguably <laughs> the best, most involving series that Euston Films produced throughout its twenty years. So there we oh go. gosh! There we go. Well, there you go. So the person they're who, really talking it up there, aren't the, they? The person in that network was damn impressed of this show that you've never heard of. He's like, "We've got to sell this," and that the audience didn't even like at the time. Yes, Peter Vaughan is very much pushed as the as the lead, and he's the head of this cockney family. Um, you've got Elizabeth Spriggs in quite a rare sort of straight role for her. I keep expecting her to screw her face up and start doing something silly. Um, and, and of course, you've got the five, the five men. It's so male. Oh, but I mean, I think they're, they're good. Apart from the one who played, the one who I didn't know, I didn't like, Derek O'Connor, the one who later did Lethal Weapon 2. He was very much like... I found him unengaging and I wasn't surprised that I didn't know him as well. Every, I think he was the only one in out, actually. But everyone else, I'm Ray Winston early in his career. Bernard Hill, quite good, but his character was so flawed I struggled. Eamon Boland as Phil. Well, you, you know, have we mentioned Ray Winston? I did, Winston. I did mention him, yeah. Rosemary Martin? Well, yes, Rosemary Martin as I live and breathe, Werner from Tenko in... I can see in this that she just didn't have enough material. There's one episode where she gets material, where she challenges Vin, and I'm like, this is the Werner character, this is the person we know, and she's great. But very, there's very few moments where any women in this are allowed to have any sort of, take any sort of stand or take mm. any sort of power. And mm. there's one episode where she, she kind of stands up to Bernard Hill, and the result is she gets smacked mm. around for it. And then... The deaf mm. son, who he cares about so much, also gets smacked around. Smacked around. That was mm. horrific. I, I mm. can never forgive the series for that. Whatever, because it was never mm. mentioned again. Because domestic violence is mm. fine. You know, it's 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 a it is a, it is a very uh, male uh, centric situation yeah. in in the story. But in in that culture, you know, women are seen as you know. <sighs> Accoutrement, accessories, really. yeah. You know, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to have a, you've got to have a, you've got to have a wife. You've got to have a wife to have more kids, but so, you know, it's uh, uh, shut up. You know, have a nice <laughs> pot, dear. Here's some, here's, here's some jewelry. You know, just, just, just sit there, look pretty, and don't have a. Opinions. But it's interesting because I think the cockney um, world that is shown in EastEnders actually usually mm. shows that the women actually have a lot more power than is obvious, and well, we talk about this a lot actually. Soaps. Yeah. For some reason, is the only place on British television where, in drama, the 
that the there's the inverse. The, the men are always a bit yeah. dim and stupid, and the women the women are the, the strong characters. I mean, you've got that in Coronation Street, but you've got that in EastEnders. I thought when I watched this 13 series, it was like someone had concentrated EastEnders into 13 episodes. It was like the whole history of EastEnders, I remember, it had been squashed I, I think that's into a, this I think that's a bit harsh on EastEnders, to be quite honest. <laughs> but well, but the difference here is that I think the men are stupid, do stupid, mm. self-involved things... But the women aren't allowed to be intelligent enough or to have enough agency mm. to do anything about it because mm. they're just regarded as accessories because clearly Trevor Preston mm. doesn't regard women as valuable, I think. That's how I took well, it. Well, within the 13 episodes, you get some very interesting peripheral characters like uh, Maggie Steed's character. Oh, now she's, she must come to her yet, later, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, a, is, a, is a very, It's a very well-drawn and very, in many ways, open-minded uh, view of a different kind of lifestyle. Uh, you also get astonishing people turning up, like like Robert Urquhart later on. But but uh, I had I had a moment. I just sat there going, "Hold on a minute, wait a minute. That's Bill Nye. That's bloody Bill I Nye." I know, so young. <laughs> he was he was a baby then. Bless him. <laughs> we always like it when Charles Paris gets work. Yes. So can I suggest we go through episode by episode? We can but, try. Certainly. But we don't talk about each episode for long because there are 13 of them but i did make lovely notes oh so, did you i'm glad you did i didn't make much in the way of notes i will tell you actually the way i i watched this because i as i i said to you i i ordered it because i knew we were going to talk about yeah. it so uh, i knew it was available in other sources but i thought that, to be honest you don't want to get halfway through and find out there's an episode missing so i i went and found it a second hand someone was getting rid of their copy they weren't burning it so it was obviously not you um, <laughs> no they were um uh, I, I got a second-hand copy of it, and it I, I sort of, oh, God, I'm going to have to find 13 hours to watch yeah, it. Exactly. And I was really sort of, you know, God, do we have to do this and everything like that. And I so I sort of, you know, and I was jokingly tweeting, oh, I'm about to dive into Fox, and it's, oh, I'm not really. And, you know, some, like I said, someone said, oh, well, it's Peter Vaughan, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's probably worth it. And I sort of watched it, and I thought, yeah, okay. And then I sort of put it down. And a couple of days later, I thought, oh, I'll put episode two on. You know, I've got a bit of free time. Yeah. And the weird thing about it was uh, I ended up watching pretty much episodes two through to eight in one sitting. Yeah. And when I watched, uh, when I put the episode nine in, I ended up watching episodes, the last five episodes in one sitting. Gosh. So it is actually strangely compelling. Maybe that's, that's the that's idea of the novel. Because that's actually true of me as well. I did the first episode and then I think I did the next four, maybe the next four and then the next four. So I did, maybe did it in three sittings, but I was surprised how quickly I got through it. So maybe there is something about it. But then I also do think this is slightly podcastitis, is that when you know you're going to podcast on something, it's actually a series even that you're not enjoying that much. I, I enjoy finding themes and references and things I can talk about. So that actually is motivating as much as the drama itself motivates. Does that make sense? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose uh, the other thing is, before we go through all the episodes, I, I do feel it's important uh, to put a quick spoiler alert. So, ah. spoiler alert. But uh, Peter Vaughan isn't in the full series. Indeed. And he wasn't and... happy about it. I've read his biography. There right. was two pages devoted to Fox. So... Mm. Episode one, King Billy. Hmm. So, which is also the name of, presumably, of the ridiculous song that Trevor Preston <laughs> wrote, which <laughs> I'm going to play a, a section of now. Okay. 
Yes, for a tenner day call, why an handsome fella? Got all his hair and all his pegs, and what about that smeller? Baller jogging down the street like he has a manor. King Billy! Round here that's very seven foot, but I suppose he's shorter. And I've heard it said he pulled some strokes he didn't order. I'll keep her in a snatch, I reckon she can walk on water. King Billy! So this song is basically commenting on him walking around his manor and um, he's the king of all he surveys. He even gets to pinch a woman's bottom and that's apparently fine because it's 1980. Uh, (laughs) It's a comedy thing, isn't it? It it almost feels like we've made comedy here because that's, that's, is that, I'm trying to think back now, but was that pretty much the opening sequence was accompanied by the song? Um, it, it was a bit slightly into later it, in the a bit into yeah. It, yeah, okay. yeah. So we get to get some like little cameos of each of the sons, mm. so we get to know a bit about them, which is kind of mm. very brief intros, but it tells you everything you need to know, like Larry Lamb's Joey charming the ladies, and mm. Ray Winston's Kenny is prepping for a fight, and he's too quick to mm. temper. Um, and you see, you get little little moments. Um, my favourite phrase was um, in the whole episode was when someone called Billy, you're a nasty old bastard. <laughs> I like that. Mm. <laughs> and we have Patricia Quinn, who is the one that um, Larry Lamb has been messing around with. And she's a, mm. she's a bit not all there in the head. Mm. And um, yeah, she plays Liz in this. Anyway, you're married. Well, that never bothered you before. Yes, it did. You know it did. I said. That first night you knew I was married. He couldn't get back here quick enough. Don't give me that you're married business. Not now, not ever. Look, there's the door. Look, we don't have to go out, Joey. I'll come round. Just you and me, Joey. Look, you don't mean it, Joey. Once a week, Joey, that's all. As long as I can see you once a week, please. <coughs> Look, I'll have them keys. Joey! <laughs> I, I did write a few notes about the first episode. Yeah. It's true. And and because this is all set around Billy's uh, 70th birthday, yeah. isn't it? Uh, and, you know, and he, uh, there's a sequence right at the, at the top of the show where he goes into a uh, tobacconist's uh-huh. and, and some lad is trying to steal cigarettes and he puts him right and all that kind of thing. Uh, but it's actually this sense that he is a kind of, pillar of the community in the sense of you know someone people are frightened of he puts the frighteners on people and yet his background is you know from the markets so what was why was he thought of as this gangster was it just because he had these these sons because there's not really much evidence apart from the fact one of his sons has gone into the building trade and one's got a bar and we know that we learn later on that one of them has been in prison and all this kind of thing there's not actually much in the way of backstory explained at this point. I, I, why people are terrified or intimidated by this man who basically at some points does the lovable grandpa bit quite a lot. It's, you know, you, you're, they're building him up as a, as a fun, nice family to a certain extent, if I, should, if I can even say that anymore. <laughs> um, and yet it is... You know, there's this underlying threat, this underlying sense that they're they're a bit dodgy and a bit, a bit weird. It, it, a bit it's weird, really weird know. because they really work this suggestion of gangland connections, but they're really not there, other than the fact, as you said, that that um whoever whatever that one's called had gone to prison, and the reality is that it, the connections aren't really there. There's not really a clear reason why there's this feud with Macy and his gang all that time because they're not a gang. They're just a family who are Cockney sort of the earth and. 
it, yeah, the gang side of it is really confusing because it's not about Gangland London, although there are Gangland London characters. It's more about the family. The family! Oh, God, um, yes. Uh, well, there's this very strange, romanticised idea of what family is. Uh, not a huge fan of, quotes family at the best of times. Especially, uh, like, let's, let's get to the party. So at the party... They, uh, they're, they're singing, they have they gather around the piano and they sing this old Kent Road song and everyone knows the words and it's awful. But it's this kind of like, we're all in it together, aren't we? And we all love each other. It's all about loyalty, loyalty. Um, but, even, even though you know, it's a family full of philanderers. <laughs> yes. And, um, and the women just have to put up with it. So um, the Macy and his gang, for, for reasons unknown, decide to destroy the 70th by letting rats loose in the kitchen and rats yes. run everywhere and... That's a kind of a moment of action, apparently. Is that also where Larry Lamb turns up in drag? Yes, which I thought was a really surprising choice. Mm. Because that's kind of like, I'm, a, I'm comfortable enough with being a man that I can turn up in drag to my father's 70th. Because it's a big joke, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. We'll come back to sexuality and gender later because... Well, I did feel there was a, a great deal in the first episode. I mean, the, the, one of the words, or one of the phrases I've written down is toxic masculinity. Oh. I thought there was an awful... It was almost like the very epitome of toxic masculinity in, in <laughs> drama form. It, it, it really is. And there's one point he, um, he says during his, his 70th speech, he says, I wanted a daughter, but kept popping these little bastards. And I was mm. like, yeah, it, you could have done that. Are you a fan of the family banter? Because I never have been. I, I always, I always, it, I don't want to be, I don't want to be put in the position of being cringe, cringing. It's, it's just worked too hard here, so it feels cringy. Mm. And I get what they're going for, but I would run to the hills if I was part of a family like this where they're making. Well, absolutely. Was it made as a pilot, though, as a one off? No. Like, perhaps as no. a potential one off no. no. uh, armchair theatre or something? No, absolutely right. not. It was commissioned as a full series of 13 episodes. Right. A television oh, novel, yeah. if you will. Verity could spot a hit, couldn't she? Oh, honestly, if you read Richard Marson's book, you'd believe everything she ever did was a hit, but sorry, no. Can I just say as well about the Lambert thing, while I remember, is I don't think she had any interest whatsoever in producing series that were about women. It was just not on her radar. Now, either that's because she was fighting in a male world and she didn't want to make that an issue for herself, mm. or she didn't rate women. I know she had lots of troubled relationships with certain women and not with others, and I know a lot of her best mm. friends were women, but I really think it's interesting that she didn't put the theme of women very rarely. I mean, there's one example which I do love, which is Class Act with Joanna Lumley, mm. which was fantastic. And I think she did The Castellettes mm. later. So maybe she mellowed a bit later. But certainly in these early phases, 70s and 80s, it was very much about men, what men are doing, and, and women being the satellites. And I just, yeah, I just wonder about that. Well, maybe that's partly, um, you know, people, you know, in higher-ups in television would be saying people don't want to watch programmes about women. I mean, there could have been a lot of that going on. Mm. You know, she needed hits because if she wasn't making hits, you know, it would be because she was a woman, yeah. perhaps. There was, but, I mean, I mean, there was a lot Because we got shows like Widows later, didn't we? Yeah, you know, we but, did. Um, but there was a lot yeah. made of her, like, having two female leads in Doctor Who, but I never thought that Susan was a, a, a lead, and I always thought she could have fought for Caroline Ford to actually have more of a role, and Vicky too, and... I just, I'm not convinced that she was ever there for women in the way that she could have been. And certainly this series shows that too. I mean, she was executive producer. She could have gone in and said, no, we want more agency for these people. 
and I just I just interested by that I, I keep seeing it and certainly GBH was an absolute toxic masculinity nightmare just like this really mm. anyway I um, think one of the interesting aspects of uh, uh, episode one from my point of view was the uh, the deaf child yes the, uh, the grandchild uh, because I <laughs> I felt it was being signposted massively that this is going to be a significant plot point this is going to be important that his deafness is going to be a big uh, feature and really all it is is one to maybe I mean, you could say it's to, it's to try and have a bit of inclusivity a bit of a bit of diversity within the casting or the idea I actually feel that it's it's to provide that there are t well it's two reasons it's, it's to provide that thread for the reasons why uh, Bernard Hill's character is maybe thinking of moving out of the yeah. city to yeah, be yeah. near the school yeah. and he gets in the special school and, th and that but it's actually all there because of the idea of uh, the the end of Peter Vaughan's character uh, has to depend on his deafness you know his deafness being significant or a significant part of why that happened yes well we'll come to that later so episode two is Arched Fingers for Bark, Flat Fingers for Love, which I don't understand mm. what that means. It's something to do with piano playing. Well, um, it's, they're all they are pretty much all quotes they from are. the text, which is, a, again, another form that was being used quite a lot in dramas of that time. When you think about Beiderbeck, that, that was how they, they titled their episode. So yeah. it, it's, it's not an un unrecognised form. So it's the, the, the drunken piano player, isn't it? Who's yeah. a very good piano player? Who, who, but if you show up drunk, you're you're out, my son. Yeah. So this episode, I don't think this one had any real um, narrative flow, other than Liz, Liz, um, played by Patricia Quinn, was still in it, and it was about her husband coming back and wanting to know about her having having it away with Joey. Um, well, you could argue that this is the woman stuff episode. Oh, although Jesus, it's not is really it? Well, it's not. Well, well it starts uh, with Ray and Phil talking about women and joking about how she was kinky for a smack. I mean, it was just, oh, just the language in it was just so, it was just so from the male point of view. It, it, was, it was really quite difficult to watch. Um, so, so the character of Phil... He meets. He's um, in a relationship with a girl called Anna, who's a posh, posh bird. She's a bit of a sort. <laughs> She's a bit of a sort, isn't she? And... I think you get interesting ideas of what's classy, according to <laughs> yes. people in 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 this strata of society. You know, classy is a, a, a bottle of wine and, and a fur coat and a <laughs> and a nice hairdo. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So. Um... Basically, he meets Anna's mother, who's <coughs> who is very posh, and yes. she doesn't want her daughter associating with this this no oik. good no good oik. Who is now the interesting thing about Phil is he's a student and he's kind of the the son who has learning, isn't he? And he seems to be the best, well read, and he's the person mm. that people go to. Um, he's the one who went to college. You, you you know idea that sometimes one went to be a doctor, one went to be a priest. One went... mm. mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. He's following that sort of idea, you know. One of them's got to go to uni. You're the clever one. I'm Anna's mother. Phil. Philip. I um, thought I knew most of Anna's acquaintances in London. Uh, at the university. Forgive me, but you uh, seem rather old to be an undergraduate. I'm a chosen. 
Second year. Moral philosophy. Uh, do you know Anthony? Anthony? Anna's fella? They're practically engaged. So we have Liz's husband, who's a charmer, Ronnie, mm -hmm. Ronnie Boyd, who, who basically threatens her sister. He's a violent thug, basically. But even then, like, the, Liz's sister screams at the baby when it cries, and it's just like... Mm. The picture of domesticity is just so deliberately bleak. Do you think that just is because some people think that makes for interesting drama? You know that that it has to be. I think it was. Has to I be. think it was trying to yes to promote this sort of like, yeah, this is this is um, gritty kitchen sink stuff, and this is what it's like. In drama, for some reason, that doesn't work for people. They think, yeah. no, you, you've got in drama, you've got to have you know, like say, people who scream at their children and everything like that. Which I, is one of those weird things for me because I think sometimes uh, if you, I'm not saying people do this, but if you pick up your cues for how to live your life from watching television, you you would be a very unpleasant person indeed, in my humble opinion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it all ends in a confrontation between um, Liz's husband, Ronnie, and mm. Joey at his, his flat. miserable flat. His flat he's not been keeping up with because he hasn't wanted to be there because he's been trying to avoid Liz. But um, basically, King Billy arrives with two of the sons and he he's basically supports Joey while calling him a dirty little slag. He's a dirty yeah. little slag. He's my son, but I love him. He's a dirty little slag. But we're family. You take one we're fox, family. you take us all. With oh, family. Oh, dear Lord. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Fox is, is, is sometimes a very... I mean, I know that uh, television titles are sometimes picked for most bizarre reasons. Oh, Fox is an interesting... Because he's a bit foxy, but he's also a bit... Oh, he's a bit of a, a, a cunning... Oh, you know, it's, it, yeah. I mean, if, if, you know, if, if you took, you know, Priestner... You know, <laughs> that would be a really bad name for a series. I would never watch well, that. Well, you know, you'd sort of say, well, how could we? Ha ha oh, you know, oh, no, because oh, he's a bit, he's a bit priesty and a bit no. <laughs> rude. <laughs> it doesn't work. No, but it doesn't work the same way. That's what I'm saying. You know, it's it's sometimes very convenient. Whereas I can see Holmes in that big block white writing as we had for Fox on the screen and it going across a London cityscape, or even a Derbyshire Peak, maybe, or a High Peak. <laughs> And I can see that working really well. I'm sitting really on well. my pipe and solving problems. Holmes! Holmes! <laughs> I can see it now. A 13-part television novella about a guy who podcasts and draws. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. You, you, you do know that, that that is almost guaranteed to mean that everybody will ignore it completely. <laughs> well, no. If you promote it, yes. If I promote it, it will actually get some interest. Um mm. So story of my life. Mate. This had my favourite line in the in in the whole series, which is when mm -hmm. Ronnie comes running into the flat, Joey's flat, and says, "Where is she? Where's the whore?" <laughs> it's like, ah, it's like delight. What a delightful gentleman you are. It's just awful. Just so glad I've never met people like this, or I don't mix. I would I would choose not to mingle with folk like this. It's uh, you know. Uh, which, of course, sounds terribly elitist and posh, but you just think, well, no, I don't, I don't want to hang around with horrible people. But and then, unfortunately, in television terms, you get a lot of horrible people you're expected to hang around with. But what I wonder here is, are they actually trying to say, well, we're just aping, this is what society is at this point <laughs> in London, or... 1979. Or is it saying, this is what it should be like? Or not, not what it should be like, but is it encouraging people? And there's actually, did this actually come from the TV, people behaving like this, or... Is it actually a realistic aping of society? I want to know. This would have made in the first summer of Thatcher, wouldn't it? Yes. So, 
you know, that's an interesting take on it, really. I I don't imagine that the, the true horrors of Thatcherism had quite crept into... I would like to say, Thatcher, like Lambert, was not interested in women. <gasps> Gosh. Episode three, pugilism, not vandalism. Gosh. Mm. Uh, this is the boxing episode. Now, I, I'm often, I like my crime dramas, but I often find that the, the racing driver episode, the horse racing episode, <laughs> or the boxing episode are the three that I, oh, God, boxing. I don't know what I know. I hate it's it. It's a way out of, of, I know it's a way out of poverty. But I still know, hate it poverty, well. yeah. And I, I just find the whole culture surrounding it makes me very miserable. I don't know why. Um, you know, I mean, I can I can enjoy a, 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 a snooker tournament on the telly as much as the next fellow, and I know a lot of people find that equally, you know, uh, blue collar or whatever. Yeah. But it's for something about this culture of uh, glamorising boxing, and and because it's always seen as a, a big. Why would anybody want to go into a room to watch people beat each other up and cheer about it? I I find it a very weird thing. So I find that a very difficult thing to watch. Well, this is this is the only part of the drama that John walked in for, um, mm. and he said this is disgusting. I mean, he's really mm. he's very, I mean, he's not influenced by me at all. But he was just like, mm. this is disgusting. Why would people do this? And that's his take on boxing right now. And he's he's you know he's 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 a typical lad. There is hope like, for the future. But he's kind of like, mm. what what's this about? Why would you watch this? Mm. Why is this entertaining? Why are people laughing and smiling? He was asking, mm. and I'm like, yeah, I know, I don't get it either, John. The only thing about episode three that particularly stuck out for me was that it started off with this very surreal sequence with a rag and bone man looking oh, like yes. a, a funeral car. Let's let's get into that. So it kind of Which, had child catcher vibes, this rag and bone yeah. man. And yeah. he seemed to be sinister, but then he yeah. wasn't. It was almost dreamlike. And yeah. it was when the, 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 blind, uh, the deaf kid was running away from Werner, his mother, mm. and she was looking for him. And then people started shouting at him and calling him a moron. And he, mm. he was looking for his dog, wasn't he? But it was, mm. it was one of those sequences where it was quite dreamlike, quite not clear what they were trying to say. Mm. What was the message? Other than the danger of him actually being run over. I could have killed you! What are you messing about in here for, eh? This is private, private property. A bloody moron or what? Stop it, Reg, stop it. Can't you see? He must be dead. <gasps> what happened? What happened? I bloody I killed him. That's what happened. It wasn't Reggie's fault, honestly. No, no, of course not. Right, would have been your fault, Mrs. Oh, Reg. But what's he doing out in the street with a dog? He's got no lead. That's dumb and bloody simple. And what was it? What was its purpose? Throughout this, throughout the thirteen weeks, you get these occasional, very interesting directorial choices and sequences that really sort of jar with most of what's going on. It's yeah. very domestic, very interior, very lots of men, in, or well, mostly men, in rooms shouting or being threatening at each other. And then you suddenly get these wide open shots that are actually played very uh, floridly, very, they're, they're shot in a very almost dreamlike way. I mean, there yeah. are, in, in the follow-up uh, uh, episode to this, uh, the, the after the boxing match, I mean, the boxing match goes tragically wrong. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, you spend most of the episode going, well, who's doomed? Because if the, if you were following the structure of what you think this is going to do, and that's, that is one of the things that does 
interests me about Fox is it doesn't sometimes take you where you think it's going to go. Right, yeah. So you actually you have this air that actually um, Ray Winston's character is the doomed one. Yeah. Kenny is the doomed yeah, one. Yeah. And then of course he he's in this fight. He he, he does this uh, left hook to this other guy's jaw, knocks him out. Eventually that. Uh, kills him, but he takes a whole episode to die. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. um, but um, and there's, and from that you get uh, this gives uh, Ray Winston's character, a, you know, existential angst and, and all this kind of thing, and because his whole life is boxing and he, boxing is about making the family proud, and they want him to be world champion by you know by the Christmas or whatever. The, no pressure. The it is, and you know because you you can't let the family down. You know this is this is the role we have designed for you this is where you this is your this is what you are i don't know how early he was molded to be a boxer because boxing seems to be big on on uh, king billy's agenda he wants yes. he wants one of his sons to be a boxer yeah i mean i don't know how many episodes it took you to realize it took me quite a while to realize that actually they weren't all elizabeth Briggs's sons i actually there was well a... they don't make it clear they don't make it clear because i was thinking Age-wise, they easily could be, and, and it's just really not clear, yeah. But uh, So he's the youngest, though, isn't he, Kenny? And Kenny, uh, like I say, basically kills this guy in the ring. Um, and, oh, dear God. So, Reenie and Vin on a river trip, so that's Rosemary Martin and Bernard Hill, where they're talking about how London has changed, and this is a theme that keeps coming up. I wrote down, really important scene, signposting that London has changed. I'm beginning to hate London. It's changed. It's not like it was when we were kids. It's dying slowly, bit by bit. Nobody laughs out loud anymore. Nobody whistles. It's all grab, grab, grab. Money, money, money. Too many cars, too many drunks, too many foreigners. Filth everywhere. I think this idea that London is changing all the time and it's not what it was, it's not the cosy world of, of Billy's Covent Garden Porter where everything was lovely and it's it's keying in in this early stage of the 80, early 80s of saying oh things aren't like what they used to be and they used to be better you know and it's it's kind of this cultural hallucination that things used to be better which it obviously culminated in Brexit a few years ago but it's still this thing of looking back and saying oh it was better before and everyone used to say hello to each other and I'm like well did they and it's it's really interesting that this mass hallucination, I think, starts around about here. Not very quick, got you from place to place, but now there's just jams. Half a mile thick, stay in the human race. I'm walking, they've stuck, parking meters outside. Our doors to greet us, our things ain't what they used to be. We idealised the past. Early Thatcherism was about some sort of golden age because the 70s have been so crap quite frankly uh, and obviously they could blame the 70s on mostly on the second half of the 70s on the Labour Party yeah uh, but but there'd been all this uh, union activity and what have you so it, I think there was a, a genuine sense at that stage in history um, that that the 50s were better the 60s were better I mean we, we basically 
Britain in the 60s, you know, was this, um, not, not cool Britannia, that's later, but, you know, that whole thing of Carnaby Street and all that. And then the 70s, everybody forgot about Britain. Yeah. And so I think you had this 10, 12 years ago feeling about, oh, wasn't it great back then when, when we were great? And that, I think, is where a, a lot of this momentum for modern ideas of what Britain is starts really it starts yeah. in that you know and of course then we get uh, two years later we get the Falklands which you know gives that sort of sense yeah. of hurrah we're the best country in the world nonsense yeah. and all that thing so it, it does come it does come from 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 this sort of period in time yeah I also wanted to talk about Maggie Steed who is introduced as Bet, and she she arrived I thought she was trans to begin with because that was sort of it wasn't clear they were trying to make it her... It was, was implied, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that her gender was kind of uncertain. Fluid. Yes, and she's a clothes designer. She's got an arty house, a giant dog. She's got a mm. sauna. She brings in jasmine tea in the nude. I mean, you get... You know who I had it in the back of my cab? <laughs> exactly. And it's just... Later on, you're kind of... You're kind of surprised by the fact that the family all like her. But the reason mm. why they like her is because she decides to sack off her fashion job and the world she lives in mm. is just nonsense. So then mm. they can get on board with liking her because, mm. you know, it's well, if, if she accepts that it's just, it's just nonsense what she does, then we can accept her because we mm. can't have anyone doing anything artistic or creative. It's got to be mm. nonsense. So I really felt that they deliberately dodged how the family would actually react to that, that person and it only worked because she was like, oh, no, it's nonsense and I love a good boxing match. And I thought mm. that really didn't, work for me i was i was unhappy with how bet sort of fell in with the family and how basic they were you're bet green that's right the dress designer i've seen you on television <laughs> oh, why didn't you tell us joey you never told me what he was famous <laughs> i'm not i just made ridiculous gear for ridiculous birds whose fellows pay ridiculous prices for it's all a big joke I mean, you have to be ridiculous to want to wear something like this, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, girl. What do you want to drink, Annie? Find a bit of fruit. In a thin glass. I bet you a fiver. I can drink a pint faster than you can. Oh. He thinks I'm joking. You could have had that confrontation that, you know, her fashion world didn't fit, but instead they dodged that bullet and said, well, actually, no, she thinks it's nonsense as well. And it's like, well... That later made it, when she does have a conflict with the family later on, well, with Joey, it's kind of like it didn't set that up right. I felt... I just also want to mention the song in this episode, which was hilarious, which was about um, Billy and... Billy coming to meet Phil. And the song had lines like, what will, what will they say when they meet face-to-face, -face, father and son drifting apart? Are they father and son or two pawns in a game that never can be won? The well, at, least, at least we didn't nonsense. get it as bad poetry. We got it as bad song poetry. Well, that's worse because it's like, <laughs> yeah, no, show us. Don't tell us. Mm. And these songs are telling us all the time. What's that song? What's that song about? So you want to be a boxer? Well, that works because it's a one-off in the in the film. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Bugsy Malone. Yeah. I also wrote down, he's a flash kit. Gin and Angostura is a tarts drink. It's a tarts drink. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, well, these are the casual asides. That... We should move on to episode four. It's the dream sequence in the tunnel that um, Ray Winston endures. Well, you know, because he's basically, uh, he's killed a guy, or at least he's in the process of killing a guy. And, uh, and he's and uh, and he's, he's he's suddenly doubting his entire life and everything like that. But you get, the, yeah, I'm sure, I'm, I, it feels like it's like Greenwich Tunnel, which is the yeah. only tunnel yeah, I know yeah. that probably you can film those kinds of things. When I was watching the series, I thought, this is going in some surprising, taking some surprisingly interesting turn. Yeah. But I was still sort of thinking, I'm not sure, because I, I couldn't quite, Again, with same with the uh, the, the rag and bone uh, man mm-hmm. in the previous series, so, previous episode. It sort of it it jars with everything else. Um, but don't they open the episode with the dream sequence? Is that yeah, they do. Yeah. And I thought this is wasted on an ITV audience. <laughs> I was like, they would never go for this. They just wouldn't. They'd be like, this doesn't work. People would just turn off in their droves because like this is not how ITV works. Mm. BBC Two or Channel Four, yes, but this is. Verity, um, Trevor, this is not a fit for ITV. Mm. They've just watched, I don't know what, some, some old shit and mm. <laughs> some quiz show and then they've got this mm. to try and get their head round. They're like, no, I don't want to get this. Mm. It's such a, um, a bad choice. And I mean, th- for someone who was meant to have... Oh, it's just weird. Um, I wrote down also, very importantly, the bus conductor is the Raston robot. There oh, hurrah! <laughs> See, that's why you can't get away without paying. He's there. He's there. Exactly. He's He's upstairs. He's downstairs. (laughs) And we have Bill Nye as Colin Street, who turns up. Oh, the journo. Also, do you know who we have in this episode? Uh, Do you know what we have? Remind me. Lesbians. 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 (gasps) Two women kissing. Mm. And Joey's reaction is, you dirty trash. You trash. (laughs) He came round to tell me about Kelly. John? John! You rubbish. You dirty trash. <laughs> so we, this is the first moment of deeply homophobicness. Well, probably the first of... Well, I don't know, there's probably met many before. <coughs> but there this are, is where there are one or two before, yeah, but yes. Where Joey feels like, oh well, I thought I knew Bet, but she's mm. actually a dirty lesbian, and it's horrific, mm. and it sends him on a path which I'll come back to in a later in a later I part find of this that podcast. Attitude that, that, I mean, I, it's interesting. I've I've known women who really despise the idea of lesbianism. You know, they right. just they they, they they it's that I suppose it's the the equivalent of that back backs against the wall lads. You know that nonsense oh, yeah yeah and yeah. but the interesting thing is that you know because f- for blokes it, it was on some level it was always a bit of a turn on as well wasn't it it was a like cliched uh yeah, yeah. film mm-hmm. or whatever uh, uh turn on things so so but yeah oh it's filthy but oh think about it yeah it, there's a lot of weird um attitudes to sexuality genuinely that were mainstream i mean I, it, it fascinates me sometimes that when you when you hear people talk now i mean i i get quite offended or annoyed about the fact that all the clothes for girls are pink and all the yeah yeah clothes for boys have got tanks on them or whatever <laughs> exactly. and i find that just very very weird <laughs> but 
you know, you get people going, yeah, I know, I know what you mean, but they'll still buy the girl. The girl. But, but she wants pink. She wants to wear pink. She wants to be like a friend. And <laughs> I think there's a lot of there's a lot of open mindedness now, as long as it's somebody else's kids. If you get what I'm yeah. saying, they don't, yeah, they, no, they want their kids to be quote normal. Normal. Yeah, but but yeah, I, I, can, I, I don't I don't mind that that other kid in the class is trans or whatever. Yeah, but, but as long as mine aren't, as long as mine aren't, you know. And Absolutely I think there's a lot right. of that goes on. It, it, it we you know we pretend to be an enlightened, open-minded culture, but we want other people to be the open-minded ones, really. We, ourselves, we want oh, we're normal. We want you know we want our kids to be normal, so they have kids and have proper normal family life, normal, normal, normal. normal. <laughs> well, certainly in this Cockney um, world of hell that we're, we're yeah. experiencing through Fox. Um, so the culmination of this episode is Kenny locking himself in his room because the his opponent dies. Oh yes, and it's, it's, it's I've forgotten Phil. That. It's Phil who has the yes. job of working on him and going to his room, and, and they all stand help. up with the stairs. Oh Jesus! <laughs> and the the funny thing is, right? This is what doesn't make sense, and it's, it's the crux of the whole series. Is all the way through and towards the end, we're meant to believe that Billy was holding the family together and mm. everyone went to him about everything. Mm. And it's not true. No. And th- this is the idea later on that Phil somehow becomes the new figurehead and yeah. he helps everyone later on once Billy is gone. It's and like, I didn't see that no. coming. I just thought he was the rubbish one who went to university. <laughs> He's the rubbish one who goes to university who they badmouth all the time for his learning. Mm. It's all them psyche what do you call them books he reads, yeah. is the title of this episode. Yeah. But, um, but, Actually, people are going to Phil because he actually can talk people down. He can talk to them because he's got the language and he understands people. He's more empathetic. But there's this lie that Billy was this kingpin that everyone loved. and But he's actually useless Mm. in this situation with his son. Well, he's useless in most situations because he actually comes from a very old-fashioned point of view so whilst he he loves them and all they're all you know and he's very good with with the uh, the deaf grandchild yeah. he still isn't as well because he's, he, he's he, completely unreconstructed yeah, yeah it's, it's so this, there's this lie at the crux of the series mm. that billy was so vital and then someone had to take over no phil was already doing this work before mm. you've heard what's happened yeah He's dead. Charlie's dead. I killed him. Lots of things contributed to his death, Kenny. Lots of different things. He had trouble making a weight. Now you know what that can mean. And remember, Charlie took a lot of stick in his fights. He was that sort of fighter. He was a catcher, Kenny. You take three to land one. Now, you can't carry on like that and not get hurt. So we move into episode five, which is called, oh, I don't know what it's called, Shimmisha Wobble. Shimmisha Wobble, yes. Yeah, whatever. Which is some sort of weird jazz illusion because he talks about New Orleans, which is to signpost he wants a New Orleans-style funeral later mm. on. Um I'm interested so, in jazz, he said in episode one. <laughs> so we can have this jazz funeral in episode eight. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or nine. Um, this is the episode I wrote down where Lester gets a right bashing. Right, Lester. Every time Lester's mentioned, everyone's like, Lester's shit. Oh. It's a shithole compared to Clapham. <laughs> so you've got this big clash here in this episode. Mm. The main theme is formal education versus life mm. education. Yeah. Um, University and... of life, mate. University of life. Oh, God. 
So basically, Kenny's gone on the run mm. because he can't cope with his family, and who can fucking blame them? <laughs> blame him. And at one point, he's tempted to put his arm in the way of a boat propeller. Mm. Um, and there's another point where he has this weird yeah the beach hallucination. Rod, yes, again they're trying to be arty yes. on a, for an ITV audience. You suddenly felt that this is a um, one of those Swedish films, and you just get ten minutes of the propeller blade. <laughs> yeah. I was just waiting for death to appear with some chess at the side of the beach and Ray Winston was going to play him. But, um, yeah, so he also hallucinates Nan, his his girlfriend, on on the horse, Mm. on a beach. And then there's this weird sort of weird moment where these women come dancing dancing around and singing and and they run around him, even though it's a really bleak day and would never have been on the beach on this day. It's very, very odd. Do you know where it was filmed? Was it? I think it was either something like uh, what's it called by the Orgo? South End. Was it probably South End? Margate. South End, Margate, Clacton. Don't know. One of those. One of those. Yes. One of those places where the eel and pie shops are. (laughs) Yes. Sweet. Kiss me quick, darling. Um, So we learn. Oh dear me! Gosh, we're going to get in trouble for that, are we? Two elitist (laughs) bastards. Two elitist (laughs) bastards. We learn that Ray has a daughter who is 16 years old who's never he never sees. Doesn't yeah. matter because he can just run his club, he can do whatever he wants. He mm. never sees Jenny, poor Jenny. Mm. Um, and it's, somehow it's all Sheila's fault mm. because women are trash, of course. Um, or well, she ran off with somebody just, else and ran off with some other geese. Ah, but uh, she never knew what she wanted, did she? She never knew what she wanted that one. Until she came back because <laughs> she wanted him. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, Jesus. Because yeah. um, basically one she, thing wants, she wants this, this, this philanderer who basically stick his is willing anything with a pulse yeah. oh my god but I wrote down at this point at one point in London Ray's got a shooter I wrote down real man because I real thought man. this is exactly how it would be described literally ten minutes later it was it was said it's a shooter and mm. I'm like oh my god I could ri- I could write this nonsense yeah. it was like all the sort of stereotypes you expect them to say they absolutely said ah, yes, but oh. you think, oh, it's a Smith and Wesson that's <laughs> Now, there's one point where this reached its height, this, this okay. language thing, and it, they were having a chat in the fox's house. Right. In the front room. In the fox over, uh, den, in, yes. In the fox den, yeah. Mm. And someone said, oh, I've been on the blower all day. And then someone else said, you've got faces as long as a milk round. Mm. And then the next line was, let's go and have a swift off. <laughs> and I was like, for fuck's sake, come on, stop it. Yes, you don't have to talk like this all the time. We are cockanese. We will speak the <laughs> cockanese. So nobody understanding at home. Expect us to speak like this. I'm on the blower. <laughs> so the very lovely Ray, the lovely uh, Ray, played the by Derek O'Connor, yes. the charmer, who sleeps with his ex-wife mm. and then... His his current bow, yes. you'd never describe his his current, current piece of skirt. His, oh yes. his significant <laughs> other s. Trudy Trudy Goodwin from the Bill, WPC June Ackland as I live and breathe. Right. She she comes in to find out what's been going on, mm-hmm. and his charming way of dealing with this situation is to shout, "I do what I want when I want with who I want. Ah. Now make the bed, bitch." <laughs> and, and he's like, "Oh my god." Mm. This is not okay. This is not okay. Why am I watching this? No. It was just... Ooh. I think you're watching it because it began with F. This episode culminates in a very weird sequence in which mm. Kenny drinks himself to oblivion. Mm. He's kidnapped by a woman mm. uh, who undresses him. Mm. 
and steals his jewellery. And his car. And this is all to a weird song, which mm. is, you know, another lovely commentary song called Midnight Spider, <laughs> in which there are lyrics about a trouser snake as oh. she's undressing him. Fair enough. I mean, I'm just like, let's play a bit of that in now. Yeah. I, I was, <laughs> was going to try and make up some cod lyrics, but I realised I can't do worse. You can't make it worse than they do it, Martin. It's not possible. <laughs> There's no love around to spare. The queen of trousers snake with a poison body cake in the morning when you wake you'll be sorry. Anyway, this leads into episode six, which is called mm. what is it called? Stick or twist. Stick or twist. Stick or twist. And this is the fallout of Kenny being kidnapped box well this is out. where you get the proper i suppose the idea of them as a bit of a gangster family isn't it because yeah because they go yeah, around, they is. go around threatening people yeah and you have the my favorite song of the all of fox mm. and it's i think it's called two up for trouble two and up it goes for trouble. a bit like this <laughs> two up for trouble when the game's getting on <laughs> i'll play a bit of that in now <laughs> Champs are closing in Like snakes they move without a sound Checking out the lost and found Stolen wheels don't hang around Time is of the essence Two up for trouble Knuckles came white Bolted windows, bolted doors Ain't gonna stop this pair Because they're out to settle up a score And someone losing gotcha yes mm. so ray and his old mate from from the what do you call what do you call the cell what do you call the prison if you're in cockney land <laughs> the slammer from the ray slammer. and his friend from the slammer yes they're they're going to try and rescue kenny and or at least find him. Yes. Um, now, the irony of this is that the person who is responsible, other than Rita, she's mm. just a woman, so she can't be responsible mm. on her own. She's only a woman. Is none other than Jim Carver from The Bill. Ah. Yes. <laughs> he's I, I wouldn't the baddie. Where he had any other work. <laughs> yes. And he's, you wouldn't recognise him because he's got long hair and yes. bad, bad Nippy. shirts. Lummy nippies in a yes. van. And... You'd be surprised to hear he doesn't have a good relationship with Rita, his girlfriend. No, no, he's a right charm. Again, you, what, do, <laughs> what does she see? What do they see in each other? Quite frankly, I ask myself. I know, awful. Still, and I mean, the lot... world is full of toxic relationships that you don't understand, isn't it? <laughs> yes, I wrote literally wrote down toxic males everywhere, <laughs> even at the seaside. There's lots of Ray Winston. Garage, isn't Sorry. He? Sorry, yes, say, tell me about that, yeah. Yeah, Mike the Cool Person, um, Christopher Ryan, is, is the Gary Ardner yeah. who, who resprays the car immaculately in about 20 yes. minutes. Ray Winston's car, so that it can't be traced. Although at least uh, it does stay the same colour for the subsequent episodes. I was quite impressed. I did actually think they probably just had two cars for the show. Because uh, uh, yeah, the white one, then they had the uh, mustard one, I suppose it was. But because uh, later on he's driving the mustard one, so I didn't know whether they were actually the same car resprayed at all. But it was just, I don't know. It's one of those things you spot the cars sometimes. I thought, well, at least he didn't have it sprayed back to white later because he wanted a white one. No, I don't know. Yeah. So 
Lee and Rita, mm. who are the baddies, keep the baddies. um keep Ray Winston in his underpants for a long time. So he, he nearly he, freezes to death in his he pants. He does. He's locked into the basement of this hideous flat. It doesn't is make it, is it a chilly day, go. Ray? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. No, I think it is. I don't think there's much going on down there. Um, <laughs> sorry, might cut that bit. But <laughs> it was in Margate. It really doesn't say, come to Margate. It's gorgeous. No. Mm. Um, so Lee and Rita have got this they're going to get all this money. Mm. But bless their hearts, how much do they ask for ransom from Ray? It's they ask for lot. £500. Pounds. Yes. Well, that's a lot, a lot back then. That's, Maybe, yes. Probably about, it's equivalent of about, about 5000 now, so it's not a huge amount, but equally, you know. I mean, it's mm-hmm. interesting, actually, uh, kidnapping and, uh, and trying to get money on people, because you kind of think, well, what can they afford, you know? Because <laughs> yes. let's face it, if someone... If someone Kidnapped my better half. I'd, I'd be struggling to find a dance. What have we got? What have we got in the back of the sofa? <laughs> you know? Wow. Well, no, it's just you know, <laughs> just could, logistics. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you know what I'm saying okay. is, like, could you get your hands on you know, thirty on the readies on the readies on the readies overnight? I couldn't. I don't yeah. know about you, but <laughs> Lee and Rita's relationship is awful. He just keeps abusing her, hmm. and then she just kisses him whenever she whenever she gets the chance because women are just there for men. That's yes. the rules. They go to a disco. I was like, oh, good, a disco scene in oh, 1980. I, I, wow, I, I do feel that the definitive work is yet to be written on discos in British, <laughs> in, in British drama series, uh, British television. I, mean, I, I love the fact that depending on budget, how many how many extras you've got. And, you know, it's, it, you can sometimes be in the disco, which has got three people in it. And, uh, and sometimes it's a room full, depending on whether where they just say, "Well, we're filming a scene. Everybody come." There are a lot of discos in Bergerac, and I make I think that makes it a must see. Rita and Lee try the con; they get caught. They they so Ray and his mate give him the same treatment, don't they? They do. They put him in the them in the bottom of the house, take all their clothes off, but mm. they do ensure they don't die, don't mm. they? I don't remember how they do that. Well, they just they... give the guy the key and say, let him out before they freeze oh, to death yes. or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Mm, whatever. Their mate. His but... buddy from, from the, the, the chokey. Yes. And then the music comes in again and I couldn't oh. believe it. It was along the lines of, pull that sort of stunt. They, ex- they should expect some sort of punishment. They could have <laughs> ended up in cement. Au revoir, Margate. It kind of didn't work, but it was just You're like, not a fuck, <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> Pay the rent. Go and write a really terrible <laughs> album that no one will buy and then get it out of your system, then write some proper TV. Mm. Oh, and also, did you notice we had the Raston Robot and Bill Nye in, in an earlier episode? Do you know who we had in this episode guest star? Go on. Sandy Lyle, the golfer. Wow. Did you notice him? I did not see him. I was thinking... Yeah. He was, in, he was one of the garage mechanics. Oh, right. One of the garages they went to was run by Sandy Lyle. To be like, fair, I wouldn't know a golfer if one came up and slapped me in the face. It was very frankly. bizarre. Anyway, but, Martin, uh, do you want to stick I, or twist? I'm, kind of, in, I'm or twist? Quite, kind of intrigued by Bill Nye because, again, this is the, <laughs> the myth of this journalist chasing a story about the Fox family. Yeah. Uh, as if he's a big, big local figure. And I think, again, it, it doesn't quite sit with what we no. see in the drama. I mean, like you say, I know this is perhaps just, you know, this is the public face of or whatever, or the private face of the public. And we don't necessarily see that other side of it. But it still it strikes me as a very odd um, setup, to be honest. Yeah. It, it, why would he be interested in, we don't in, believe in what some former uh, market porter? Covent Garden, yeah. <laughs> So episode seven is the perfect scapegoat syndrome. Mm. And this is 
the one that's university about... politics we're back <coughs> on that to- yeah. brilliant this the is Tory politician who this is, is nice work again this is the history man oh brilliant yes. we know where we're talking about now what the bloody hell's going on here so this is about a Tory politician who's attacked on the university campus that Phil's at. Mm. Phil is the head of the demo that's going on, mm. and he's framed for having thrown... Was framed. It framed. He's the victim. He's the obvious victim. Yeah. Because yeah. he's, he's the working class boy. Yes. But he is, he's framed by this terrifically awful um, Brexiteer-like chap, this National Front guy, isn't yes. he? Does, who they've is, been around in drama is, for a lot longer than uh, yes. you realise, oddly. Um, he's, he's, and he's actually well-written, because he's it's actually someone who absolutely is exists in this country today. People right. who calls himself a hard-working, decent person, yeah. who was paying for parasites and perverts, like yeah. like um, like he describes um, Phil. Yeah. He's referring to Moscow and Peking and the communists. and Writers were terrified of this stuff. 20, 30 years ago, and, and nobody listened. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And this guy, he's perfectly, he's very well drawn for a character in Fox. Mm. He's got royal family portraits all over his home, mm. and he says, I love my country. And he's a total fascist. Mm. But he feels quite within his rights to frame Phil for this mm. incident. And he doesn't feel anything of it because he sees mm. it as patriotism. Mm. And it's just terrifying, but. I felt there's a reality to that story mm. anyway. A man like that, attacked, assaulted by that mob of perverts, kicked and spat on it, a gentleman like that would... I think it's a bloody outrage, and you, you organised it. And so did they. The police did. No, they didn't. Yeah, well, I heard it. From where? From somewhere. You mean someone? The same someone that told you I threw that bottle. I told you I was a troublemaker, an extremist. And the only thing to do with political perverts like me is to get rid of them. You also get in this episode recovering Kenny going on holiday to, I don't know, it seems to be the resort of stock footage as far as I wrote down, it looks like they're actually abroad. I wrote that down. It was, it was, I was quite surprised. I was thinking, did they take a, a, a very early handheld camera to. Um, I don't know, somewhere crap. Well, perhaps I was... Costa del Sol. Oh, possibly, but then I was thinking of the New York sequences later. Oh, my God, they're so hilarious. Let's not spoil those, because I'm going to enjoy them when we get to them. Hilarious. Um, anything else in this episode? Well, this, isn't this the episode um, where he dies? Mm. Uh, Billy, it yes. It is, yes. yes, yes so Billy. Billy goes fishing with him, his deaf grandson. Yes. And Andy, he's called, isn't he? Yes. And, and has a sudden heart attack. And as you said, this was set up so that because he's deaf, he doesn't hear his grandfather having the heart attack. Mm. But it's not really played for enough drama because he turns around almost instantly, actually, and yeah. sees it. But it's so also that that because he can't communicate well, he can't yes. explain to the person he runs off yes, to try and get true. help from. You know, so that's true. It's a kind yeah. of, oh, isn't it a small tragedy, uh, you know, and so yeah. basically the rest of the episode is a, is basically a death watch in the hospital and uh, uh, Billy missing it, basically, uh, yeah. and not being able to get back. Phil so, missing it. Yeah. Phil missing it. Sorry, yeah. yes, Phil so, missing it. Because, yeah. So there's a very important exchange earlier in the episode between Billy and Phil, mm. and it's it's class versus um, no class. You're it's making your choices between five. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. 
and Billy's walking around the grand flat. He wants to go to a lecture, doesn't he? He wants to go to this dodgy lecture. Yeah. And, yeah. Rather than coming to the fight, yeah. Kenny's fight, and that was all the issue. Mm. But um, and Billy's surveying this flat that he's in, mm. which is Anna's flat, and he's saying grand pianos and Persian carpets, mm. trappings of the bourgeoisie, mm. um, and he calls him a ponce, doesn't he? It, Billy's forever, Billy's forever name calling his sons, and that's okay. You can call them anything, slags, ponces, whatever, because he loves them. He loves them, so it's okay. I bet our dad dodges more taxes than all your family earns put together. What's this posh art worth? Probably more money than I made or Miller. You're a ponce. The worst kind. A hypocritical ponce. And you're talking a lot of bloody rubbish. I thought you were supposed to be the smart one. All your teachers used to tell us what a clever little devil you was. Jack the lad. And we were so proud of you. All of us. Well, I ain't so proud of you now. I ain't proud of what you've become or what you're involved in. I ain't proud of having the law banging on my door, looking for you. Or on the phone, telling me and your mother what a dangerous little bastard you are. But it's interesting to me that he slags off, like, say, the trappings of the bourgeoisie, but in that opening episode, this, that, what, we're, what we're getting back to is that ideas of what's classy, you know, the fur coats and everything like that. What's the difference, really? It's all stuff. Yeah. It's all stuff that you buy with money to show off how wealth, wealthy you are. It's exactly the same, really, when it comes down mm. to it, that aspirational nonsense. And, and let's face it, some people's idea of classy is everybody else's idea of what the... You know, but Gordy, yeah. you know... And, and suddenly, I had, had a suddenly moment, I was like, why is this so familiar, this scene, mm. with Peter Vaughan mm. shouting at a younger man who's <laughs> shouting about his politics? And I was like, oh, my God, it's, it's, it's Felix our, shouting at Nicky. It's our friends in the north. It's our friends in the north. Oh, and what like, a, oh what a rip-off that. that it, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and he, he, he calls him a selfish, lying little swine. And he's, I even think he says mm. some of the same lines at this point. Well, maybe it's a bit of improv later. You know, Peter was going, hold on, I'm channeling something. I've got something that's yes. in my mind. I remember some, somewhere. Ooh. It's completely original, I promise. <laughs> but um, but Phil has more of a leg to stand on than Nicky because Nicky was blowing people up and yeah. doing very, very dodgy yeah. things. But Phil is literally just a student who has commie leanings. And I know he's, he's doing demos and stuff, but I don't think he's actually killing people. But is this the episode where you get the scene where he throws the books off the roof or is that later? It starts tearing remember. the pages out of his books. Oh, God. Yes. Now, when did that happen? I think that's the next episode. Oh, is that after when the funeral? When he's, with his funeral? When he's yeah. missed. Or, so, yeah. so you have to, in the Trevor Preston drama, written drama, you have to actually underline the fact that the knowledge hasn't helped him by having him tear out the tape pages of the book and throw them off the roof. Mm. I mean, come on. You don't have to underline things so obviously. Mm. Jesus. Yeah, book learning, but, useless, mate. Useless. But the line that Phil has, which is really important, is King Billy's boys, you will die. What will happen to the great Fox family then? Mm. Is that we'll be able to breathe again and live our own lives. You can't help thinking this is true. Mm. And... He's not going to regret these lines, but of course he does because it's drama. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's supposed to be the big tragedy that he doesn't get back in time and, and he's already dying. And you get that sort of freeze frame, don't you, on the entire family staring at him uh, accusingly at the end. And it goes sepia. Yes. Because that's arty. Mm. Trevor Preston had seen that something once where it went sepia and he was like, that's arty. Or tri- Jim Goddard. It's all those lunchtime arty, repeats of the Sullivans. <laughs> yes. That was it. When it goes sepia, that was the moment you waited for. Um, episode eight. The funeral. 
Peter's dead! I don't know about you, Martin, mm. but if it's good enough for New Orleans, it's good enough for Clapham. Well, yes, yes, indeed. I like to think we've got more class in, uh, in uh, Derbyshire. So it starts with... Elizabeth Spriggs looking out of the window of her house moodily and... Well, this is where Spriggs should move centre stage, isn't it? This is where her character should now be the matriarch and the whole drama should orbit around her and it just doesn't happen. I wrote down, she wanders around the garden like an elderly Ophelia. The trouble is, I don't have a clue who this woman is. Mm. We've not had any time with her. We don't know what she's about. She's just been there as as Billy's silent right hand. Well, he he made that one allusion in episode one when he did the toast about my dear old dying too young. Ruby, yeah, you think, the first wife. She's sat next to you, mate. <laughs> well, no, yeah, she doesn't count. She's only the second wife. She's not been made important enough to the story to make that leap, really. It now becomes how are the suns all orbit around her. I actually thought to myself, you've got eight episodes to the death of Billy and then all it can be now is that each episode is the downfall of one of the suns. That, yeah. that felt like what the structure yeah. was going to be. So you'd get his downfall and his downfall because the family would e- explode or disintegrate. And of course that isn't how it plays out, but that was what I was expecting the rest of the series to do. We do have this scene here of Phil surveying London and he tears at Voltaire's Condide and ah, throws the pages off the building. And, as you would. And that is a very, a very much, a, a very over-the-top literary illusion because Condide is all about the loss of optimism in a terrible mm. world and mm. everything is not for the best in, this, in the best of all possible worlds. That's the, mm. the heart of Condide. And... Mm. And it's just so over the top and, again, totally lost on an ITV audience, mm. but also at the same time so basic and, and obvious uh, uh, sort of metaphor, throwing knowledge off the roof. And, and of course, the other thing that happens here is you get the resurgence of the, the rival gang, don't you? They sort of... Oh, not that's really horrible, anybody. yeah. They're there as a kind of mentioned threat, but they never get punished, they never really get... Well, they do get punished. Yeah, they have beaten. a massive punch up and they get beaten to death. Yeah, but almost. they don't. What I'm saying is, they never. You know, they they they, 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 they don't. You, they don't win and lose in in this thing. Right. It's just there are these two families that will go on feuding forever and ever and ever and ever. Yeah. And there's no resolution in that sense. Yes, they have a fight in a pub and you know three guys are knocked down, but you know that's not going to stop them coming back with another bag of rats next year, is it? You know? No, exactly. It's it's endless. It's always ongoing. Mm. So we have the big funeral scene, mm. which starts a very obvious funereal procession and then after he's buried it becomes this live and let die rip off of um, the the jazz band and everyone running along the street being happy because he's a much loved public figure locally yeah and pretending to all like each other when they don't story here because we find out that Billy had a lover called May who um, he had a daughter by and Connie um, Connie's doing right by her because that's the East End way mm. of trying to give her some money and he, she has a mm. moment where she meets his daughter but mm. we don't care enough because we don't know who Connie is at this point we've not had any time with her so mm. it's kind of nicely played but it's just like if we'd learned more about her earlier or her suspicions mm. we might have been interested but this series is not about women in the end, as 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 the uh, final episodes play out, she gets this uh, relationship that, that they're all very suspicious of because they always think it's a dodgy geezer. And, of course, she finds herself another slightly dodgy geezer. <laughs> yeah. Just to say that Peter Vaughan 
didn't want to die. Obviously, no actor wants to die. They want to continue and get more money for the series they're in. But his plan, he suggested to Trevor Preston that Billy... He faked his death in a canoe. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't really die. He comes back the next episode. It's all a lark. Um, That he stayed in it for at least two more episodes, but unable to properly communicate. He'd had a stroke. So Ah. he, he suffered from the bedside and trying to help his sons but was unable to help them and I was yeah. like it sounds like far too much effort but that was what he wanted to do mm. so that's just worth mentioning because that was mm. his his um his wish episode I, nine I, I think it all gets a bit flat after Peter Vaughan's gone it's a bit like the after party it's like oh 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 we've got to do five more oh right okay what will we do and you know it felt to me that suddenly like the, the balloon of the series had been sort of popped possibly you know? Possibly. So, episode nine is called Fox Big F Family. Mm. Um, and this is where Rini and Vin, who are still after trying to get that pub in the country... Well, this is the splitting everybody up to bring them back together, isn't yes. it? Yes. That's, that's, that's the structure of it. Everybody goes off in different directions. Yes, direction. exactly, over the next few episodes, so that they can realise that family is the most important thing. Mm. And even though Billy's gone, they can still be a family. Sorry. Um, mm. Yes. There's some wonderful bits in this and some terrible bits. I, I say wonderful, I mean awful. Um, <laughs> oh Phil dear. is in a bookshop oh with his new bow, uh, never called a bow, um, Stella. And new sweetheart. Shouts, new sweetheart. She, she shouts over, over the traffic. This bookshop's got the loudest traffic outside of it ever. And oh she's shouting at this girl why she should buy this book by Saretsky. Um and it's oh, this, so, it, this is an alternative bookshop, though, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's 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 where it's, where it's where so, you go when you run away from university. But it's so on the nose and weird and badly acted. And I was like, what mm. the fuck's going on here? We can order the Zaretsky for you if you want. Uh, I don't know. The Zaretsky's really. very interesting. It examines the division between the private and public, inner and outer worlds of our society. It's a very interesting account of how the destruction of the traditional family gives rise to a new search for personal identity outside the division of labor. You see, under capitalism, almost all personal needs are restricted to the family, which simply cannot meet the pressures of being the only refuge in a harsh society. What else happened in this one? Oh, now this is the one where I really struggled. Oh, this is the scene where I actually had to stop and go for a walk because I was too angry. This right. was um, when Joey who's met Bet again because she came to the funeral of Billy mm. and they have some time together mm. and basically he's not able to, being able to get it up during sex mm. and they have a conversation about loving, not being all about screwing mm. and she tells him about her gay father and she mm. reveals, yes, she is bisexual. Yes, you did mm. see me with lesbians and yes, I am bisexual. Mm. And, and she says, but that's okay these days. And he says, where have you been living? On the moon? Of course it's not okay. It's fucking mm. wrong. It's evil. And all this stuff. And he's been so distressed by it mm. that he's gone to get... He's stolen a book from a bookshop about it. Possibly the same bookshop with the terrible traffic. And, <laughs> and I thought it was going to be this gay reveal. Because mm. previously we've had Joey in drag and, mm. and he's th- confused about his feelings. No, he's only trying to work out, poor chap, whether mm. it's okay for women to be bisexual. Of course mm. he can't possibly be bisexual because he's a man. Mm. And it's this terrible message. Some of them were, well, they'd been married and had kids. Some of them were like you. Bisexual. I say it, Charlie. 
lesbian, bisexual, not dirty word. You must be joking. Where you been living on the moon? And he's Larry Lamb. He's Larry Lamb. He's one of the lad, Larry the Lad Lamb. Who I nearly met once. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I bet he was a complete lad. But he had a cock as long as your arm. I mean, he's he, was just... in a, he was in a suit, to be fair. <laughs> uh, so cock length was not something that was likely to come up in, in, the, uh, in the lobby. But basically, he, goes, he says goodbye to her because she's bisexual. Yeah. And he can't cope with it. And the suggestion to the audience is bisexuality is wrong. The, the, even the idea of a gay character is completely wrong. I mean, the idea of any man... But dramatic oh. normality, you know, the, the, the sort of... The, the true arrow of, of normality was still quite... Uh, well uh, off. You know, strong in 1980. The only thing that Maggie Seed had this line was, well, it's not a problem for me, other people make it a problem for themselves. And I was like, yes, that's good message. Well, that, again, is it's a sort of sort of interesting insight into the times, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You know, that... Because, like I say, I, the earlier episodes where she featured felt actually quite open-minded and, and open to new Ish. ideas. And yet, in the end, that strand is so highest. But we have now, we have reasserted the normality. We've reasserted the straight line of, you know, sort of heterosexuality. Thank you very much. We've got rid of all that other stuff. It's gone now. We've had that strand. But, boom, we're back. Normal. Normal. <laughs> um, Whatever that means. The song of the episode... This was, oh. rather than being sub Chaz and Dave, is sub David Essex. Oh, And my. it's Phil telling his brothers he's leaving. Um, I'm going to, to New York. York. <laughs> you can't leave us. You can't leave us. We're a closest family in the world. Should we actually... No, should you're we terrifying. Actually, should we actually write some good script? Or should we narrate the story through another subpar song? What do you think we'll choose? <laughs> Honestly. Oh, poor you more than anyone else would have given me some stick. Why? Family loyalty. You know, Fox. Big F. Family. Billy's mother. It's not the same now, is it? With Billy gone. Stop New York where today is tomorrow. Episode 10, this starts with this line from, he may as well be Jacko from Brushstrokes, Carl Hammond. He says, he says at one point, you Dalek, I could eat the bum out of a rhino. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> it took me till this point to realise he was a fellow taxi driver. I know, I well, we didn't know that. He was just somebody he met in a cafe. Yeah, before, yeah. Oh, he's got a job and everything. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. He's a real character. This is the episode where Rosemary Martin finally gets to act. She's only had to wait ten episodes. Yes. Um, mm. She is having a go at um, her husband, Finn, and is telling Connie that they're going to move. And Rini does all the talking because Vin is a coward. Mm. And she's, she's trying to... He won't say anything, so she has to say stuff. He says at one point, I can speak for myself. And I wrote it down, well, bloody speak then and stop leaving all the hard stuff to your wife to well, do. Well, his moustache gets in the way. Oh, is that what it is? <laughs> and amidst all of this, Astrid Ferrier arrives from Enemy of the World. Yes! I know Mary, Mary Peach! Mary Peach! I Mary Peach! <laughs> as the, as the, uh, tame the, tame the Larry, Larry Lamb with his giant tame. cock. Yes. So, um, Larry Lamb. 
Mary Peach Joey. is what's she? What's her character? Peg. She's kind of a posh, older sort, isn't she? She's pure class. She's pure class. Yeah, but interestingly enough, because you get John Renane, you, je- oh, you get God, John Renane as the uh, the bloke who thinks he's he's in with her, who's the chap who is the partner. But John Renane is uh, from Strangers and everything like that. I always feel that John Renane is one of those oh, those actors yes. who gets horribly underused quite a lot because uh, he actually ends up setting fire to the. Fire. I know. It's, it's all happening. She's just bizarre. It's, it's, again, it's like, uh, how do you solve your problems? Well, I thought I'd commit arson. I, I was like, <laughs> what? You know, it, it, it's a it's a very odd uh, strand. Uh, but actually, uh, she does seem to become Joey's significant other over the course of this, yeah. which is quite. And Joey actually suddenly starts showing a certain amount of uh, grown-up... You know, he starts helping her with the business and, and fixing the yeah. cars and all that kind of thing. Which, which, and being such a feckless, work-shy taxi driver for the previous ten episodes, it suddenly seems like, oh, he, he's, he's the one who's actually grown up a well, bit. Well, you see, the reason why he's succeeding now is because he's com- completely shut himself down to the idea of bisexuality. That's the message. Oh, yes. And he's found the love of a good older woman. Yeah. Who's a proper woman. <laughs> She knows how to pleasure him. Mary Peach. Mary Peach. Mary Peach. Peach. My husband died eight months ago. You're the first man who's touched me since then. Oh, I'm sorry. I know I should have told you earlier, but I was enjoying myself so much I didn't want to spoil it. That's all right. I understand, though. Um, (laughs) Elsewhere. (laughs) Elsewhere. Um, I see it now, the episode's over, we might just go Mary Peach for ten minutes. We're introduced to Mr Turner, who is, uh, he's a proper gangster, who they don't know what he's going to do. He's played by John Lorrymore, by the way, Giuliano from Mask of Mandragora. Ah, And he is, he's a bad man, and he's, Wally owes him money, Wally being one of Vin's mates. He owns the business with Vin, and this guy's dangerous, he goes to see Rini, and this all... Kicks, kicks off. I've written down no song this week. Fritz. Unless I missed Ooh. it, no song. Ooh. Well, I'm going to have to watch that one again now just to make sure. I know, I thought that. I was like, I can't. Unless right. we get two next week. Anyway, let's move on to episode 11. Oh, yeah, Jim Carter. Jim Carter, the villain. Sorry. On the run. Oh, yes. The butler from Downton Abbey's on the run. Yeah. And, yeah. Co- and, and, and hides in, in this mysterious, broken down old house that was obviously Downton Abbey. <laughs> Before he got sent to the sent to the chokey. So Jim Carter was obviously was he in prison with um Ray? Yeah. So Ray. Ray is beholden to him to actually For some to help him, but of course we only learn this through a song. <laughs> <laughs> we was in the cell together. <laughs> we was. Honestly, it's impossible. The song goes, "You owe the man your life, but what you'll do will end in woe." Honestly, and it's just like, are you for fucking real? I can't believe... Two old legs, two old legs, two old legs. Car park, car but we're park. not thanks to Bedley, you diddle what? There's the worst scene in the whole drama happens. This is when they've lost the pub, Rini and Vin. I can't cope with it. And Andy comes back from his deaf school. He's really excited to see his dad. He jumps on him to give him a cuddle. And he throws his son off him onto the floor. 
I could not, mm. I could not cope. I'm like, this mm. son is giving you all this love. He's been away at his desk school. He comes to give you a cuddle. And you throw mm. him on the floor. You absolute mm. irredeemable bastard. I was so angry. Mm. I almost shed a tear. And then he thumped Reenie. He thumps Rosemary mm. Martin. No one gets to thump Rosemary Martin. Not on my watch. And, no, no, no. and then he thumps the kid again. I'm like, mm. this is not okay. What is the message here? Yes, he's upset about losing the pub. Mm. But it's okay to abuse to your family, yeah. including your yeah. deaf son. Oh, it was just, I couldn't cope. It was just yeah. awful. Maybe I'm just too sensitive or maybe I'm just not ex- remembering where we've been. You know when you feel that, the, the, you, okay, it's it's been trying to be a family drama. I feel the last three episodes tries to be, just become a gangster, tries to become the Sweeney, yes, tries to become a gangster right. story. Dead right. Uh, and and that seems to be to give a, a sort of story arc mm-hmm. to uh, Ray, you know, so the sort of descent of Ray into yeah. going back to his criminal ways. I mean, there's that whole. I mean, it's a big stunt sequence where he you know, sinks yeah. a lorry into a into a reservoir or chalk pit or whatever it is, and there's a lot of there's a chase scene, isn't there? there? With is. a car, uh, two police cars chasing Quite a him, complicated, trying to keep Quite his head under his stunt sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but that suddenly makes makes you think: is if have we suddenly decided this is is no longer a, a family drama, but it's a it's a it's a gangster yeah. drama? He's actually weirdly enough all the gangster undertones that have been sort of implied earlier on. The one who is truly, you know, properly what you might call a proper gangster is is Ray, yeah. really, and he's the one they're all not very proud of because he went to prison. It nearly broke my arm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, episode twelve, we get to the point where he Ray's been picked up for helping Jim Carter. Um, I don't think he's called Jim Carter. He's called Cliff, isn't he? Um, episode twelve is called. As, as it, well, it might be. It's called Oh Dear, Oh Dear, Oh Dear. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh! This is where we get Connie having a story because she meets Jerry. And we discover yes. she's, on a, Connie and Jerry. she's on a date with her, with her man. Sitting in a tree. It's her seven-day anniversary. And because she's okay. so old-fashioned cockney, she refuses mm. to accept a present from him on this date. Well, you've got to understand that this is where I, I start to get lost in the timeline of this because I think it's it's only been it, 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 it must be about a week since he did <laughs> Billy's funeral in terms of the I other stuff know. that's going on poor old Jenny who's who keeps trying to audition for EastEnders right the way through that's the daughter of Ray hmm. she only has one t-shirt hmm. which has Snoopy on it and she has to wear that all the time there's no other wardrobe <laughs> for her um, she wants to move in with Ray but mm. this isn't going to happen Why? because uh, stay with Ray because her mother's awful yeah. and her mother Carol just keep, no, Sheila keeps hitting her all the time, doesn't she? Just hits mm. her all the time. No, sorry, Carol's Trudy Goodwin. Sheila's the mother, isn't she? And Jenny's the daughter. That's it. Spare the rod. Yeah, mm. honestly. Yeah. Um, There's some weird, weird old-fashioned thinking in this. Oh. Okay, you actually say if you if you were trying to learn how to live your life through watching Fox, I think we'd we'd live in a oh. probably probably where we live now. Frankly, it's an awful lot of terrible stuff going on. And then we have Mary Peach dealing with John Ronane. Mary Peach mm-hmm. and mm. and. What I love is the the sequence in which Joey tells her, he's using you. You fell for his treacle. <laughs> <laughs> you fell for his treacle. You fell for his treacle, love. <laughs> it wasn't his treacle I was interested in. <laughs> it was his jam roly poly, you know. <laughs> Um, and there was a line also because Finn's looking. For, um, no, Kenny's. It was his whipped cream I wanted, and I got his tree. <laughs> Nan's trying to get work for Kenny. Although why Nan bothers with Kenny, I don't know. 
Nan, by the way, is the girl in the film Bedknobs and Broomsticks, all grown up. Anyway, there's a line in which someone says, oh, I ought to give you a right spanking, which I enjoyed. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Kenny now suddenly decides he will fight, actually, again, because he's good for nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... He's he's had enough time. He's had enough... It's it's, it's been 20 minutes since that that angst. (laughs) So a couple of months, he'll be British champion, no question. Now, here we come to possibly the most ill-conceived sequence in all of Fox, all of it, and that includes the songs. This... Mm is Phil walking around New York. Oh, it's a joy. It's like, I've gone to the city of Stockford. <laughs> and, and there's lots of film of New York, and then suddenly someone decides that New York looks a bit like a British Tower office yeah. block. <laughs> Honestly, it has to be seen to be believed, this bit. So basically somewhere, somewhere in Dagenham. <laughs> He's so obviously not there. This is embarrassing and hilarious. Oh, it's funny. I think we've reached episode 13. The family Yay! and the future. The family and the future. Oh, God. So... I mean, there might be another series. So Ray's been arrested. Um... It's all about Connie wanting to share, share the fact to her family, to her sons, that she's got a, a new chap. Phil comes back from New York because he has to for the storyline because he is the rightful heir to King Billy's throne. Yeah. Because... Which we finally, we finally discover that. Yes, that Connie uh, says, uh, Oh, actually, always it's said, always you, Phil. It was you, Phil. Phil. You're, you're the sensible one. Yes. Okay. He's, he's not shown much evidence of it, but there you go. He's, it's, a, it's a very low bar that the five of them <laughs> set, quite frankly. So Phil tries to talk Connie round about his son Ray and about, mm. yeah, he was in trouble before, but he has tried to get out of it. He's mm. not a bad sort, really. He's, mm. he's just a bit really? of a governor. Um, yeah. And, yeah. So Kenny arrives late to this party with Connie and Jerry, but mm. he... But Jerry says all the right things to win him round, really, and the standoff. Well, he's determined to hate him, isn't yes. he? Because he doesn't want him replacing his dad. His dear dad, and, who was uh, shit. Um, yeah, uh, and then he he says he just says something to him, and he, and they all realise, oh, he's a, he's a, he's he's one of us. Yeah. So everyone yeah. decides that family's great, apart from Jenny, who mm. gets hit several times by Sheila before before she has to leave mm. with her mother, even though her mother hates her, and she's got mm. no choice now because Ray's in prison. I don't think their story ends very well. But everyone else gets ready. Happy ending. Gets ready for Christmas gets time. Gets ready for this amazing celebratory scene, which is perhaps the most astonishing moment of anything. I think this is even surpasses television. This is just the most astonishing thing I've ever seen in my life. Actually, before my eyes, <laughs> on television, at theatre, cinema, anywhere, and mm. I, I absolutely encourage you to all go and watch this on YouTube. Because you will not believe it. It is a working class song which celebrates them all being together around the Christmas tree. And it's a wonderfully 80s Christmas tree. And it's the most badly misjudged song in the history of the universe in which they <laughs> shout out cockney things like Vera Lynn, but also like things like roller disco, car park, drip dry, dressing gowns. And it's got Christmas tinkles beneath it, so you know it's a celebratory Christmas song. <laughs> but it's the most bizarre, bizarre thing ever. And listeners, you're lucky because I'm going to play rather a lot of it in now. Oh, 
shops, all gone. Tower blocks falling down. Fish and chips, no cod. Shelly in, no god. Working class, that's a joke. Cup of tea, can of coke. Jelly deals, battery ends. National health. Plastic pens, mum and dad got divorced, and the kids wore a cool wedding dress, drip dry, ever pine. Get high, life is a window reflecting goodbyes. Full circle, we move through the years, but the future is waiting to play out a game, like a lost child asleep on the stairs. Crazy gang, oh Calcutta, Freddie Stair, John Travolta, Boy Scouts, Hogo Punks, National Service, National Front, Brown Paper, Plastic Bags, Sunday Suits, Denim Rags, Pin Ups, Pornographic Bike Rides, In This Traffic, Snow White, Taxi Driver, Vera Lynn, Frankenfurter, Youth Club, Roller Disco, Table Tennis, Sniffing glue. We may know all we need to know. Like autumn, late birds flying south. Tomorrow seems so many years ago. Perhaps the past can teach the future just enough. Regal flicks, car park, football pitch, car park, opera town, car park. Bulldoze down, car park, Santa Claus, Batman's gotcha, in his sleigh, helicopter, we three kings, televised, Christmas spirit, got breathalyzed. It's a sad, sad song the city whispers at night to people who know they're alone. But a family altar, it's circle of ends, in a street, in an house, in a room. Jesus Christ, Jesus H Christ, I'd go so far as to say. It's his birthday, you know. <laughs> and then I just wrote down, Phil gets to give the speech, um, and I wrote down, Family! Family! <laughs> Do they toast it in, 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 uh, in fizzy wine? Well, yes, because even though Billy's dead, he's actually there. He's inside each of us. Oh. Happy Christmas, everyone. Happy Christmas, you old bitch. We do get a bit of uh, P- Peter Vaughan voiceover. Oh, unfortunately, well, so, yeah. so he is actually there in spirit. Do, do they? Act, no, they, no, he buried him, didn't they? They didn't have, he wasn't. He wasn't. He isn't. He isn't in a jar on the fireplace. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but I actually going through that again. I actually thought mm. that I liked it more than I when I watched it, and now having read it back, I'm like, I'm quite horrified at what I've witnessed. <laughs> I think there's a lot of bad drama that's very compelling. Right. Um, uh, and actually, yeah, I because I, I was surprised. I really thought it was going to be a chore for me to get through yeah. 13 to be able to be in time to record this. And I did actually, I mean, I know I had a couple of free days, so fair enough. But I actually thought, no, I, I, just thought, I thought, well, I'll watch two. I'll watch two and then I'll do something else. And I ended up watching you know, three, four, five on the trot. And I, I, I was surprised how compelling it was. When you think of it, it's got an amazing cast yeah. and you've got, 
and you've got a lot of actors who went on to great things. I mean, Larry Lamb uh, aside, who I like, I say I, I struggle to remember his name. I keep having to say Larry Lamb, and I keep thinking of the little wooden book. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, he, um, he you know I, I would say Ray Winston. Yeah, I mean, his character arc is very very bizarre, but he, he you know he manages to play a, a significant role throughout the series. They all yeah they're all there. All the male parts yeah. if you like get a significant sort of story arcs whether or not they're good bad or indifferent is is entirely up to you but i think overall it's actually quite an enjoyable watch it's just that when you think back about it you find moments in it and you think oh, oh i'm not sure about that i'm not quite sure what that's saying to me now some people will find that old-fashioned um nonsense if you like uh thrilling and exciting and, and think that makes it good drama i don't think i'd necessarily go back and watch it again although obviously now i've got to seek out some of these songs <laughs> yeah however i'm glad i watched it you do sort of invest in their story whether or not you particularly care about the characters is a different yeah. aspect of it but you do you the story itself is compelling enough to make you know, the, the cliffhangers or whatever you see how they're going to play out and i think that is is kind of in some level it's it's all you can really ask for. The other thing is that we. What do you mean? It's all really you can really ask for. Bollocks. Well, There's so much more well, I would no, ask for from this. Well, possibly, <laughs> but it, what I'm saying it, it's it's done what it says on the tin. It's been there. Okay. It's, it's yeah. and but of course we haven't really done recently in in this we haven't covered much contemporary drama. Yeah. Or contemporary of its time, so it's. You know, on the one level, there are no bonnets. So that's always a plus. Lack yeah, but then is, you is always say you hate these bonnety series, and then you say, "Actually, I like this one. I actually like this," and it wasn't too bonnety. So it's kind of like, well, well, we seem to have just been very lucky. With no, no, picks, not lucky. You know. I've handpicked. Um, <laughs> can I just say, I think this is a a museum piece, um, mm. and I think it's unlike GBH, it actually mm. is watchable. I didn't mm. kind of keep hitting the time remaining button on the remote to find out how long. Mm. I, I watched every 45-minute episode quite happily. Um, I, I just felt it was crushingly bad in places in terms of trying to over-message us, trying to over-emphasise over aspects through song or through terrible over-the-topness. But maybe it's because part of the problem is we're so used to this cockneyed stuff from EastEnders over the years that... It just feels so laboured now. But maybe it was new in 1980. But then, but now it's kind of, it's so hard to watch a lot of it because mm. it's so unreconstructed. It's positioned on women, it's positioned on sexuality, it's positioned on what men are allowed to get away with. It's just mm. terrible. And I really struggle watching that now. There is uh, an aspect I find of certain types of television, uh, certain types of uh, drama television specifically is when they think they what the viewing audience want yeah is a bit more acting when really actually if if you're watching the sweeney mm. you don't really want to see george and um uh, jack in you know in the pub lamenting their woes you want you want what you want out of the Sweeney is what you get out of the Sweeney. It's an action adventure. Right. There's some stupid lines, and and when it tries to be a drama rather than, you know, an action adventure, it kind of feels a little bit forced. And I feel that somehow this was a series that wanted to be something else, 
but decided it needed to have some proper acting in it to make it significant. And do you know how the recent Bond films have been rubbish when they try and do some acting? Right. Well, yeah, I don't know. You might not watch Bond. I haven't films, seen but... the most recent ones, I don't think. No, but what I'm saying is they, they've, they've tried to make them more dramatic because you've got an actor playing the mm-hmm. part, you know, as opposed to a an action-adventure hero playing the part. And I don't find that as interesting. Yeah. But obviously that's been popular. And I think there's sometimes this idea in television that this is what the audience will find interesting. And actually sometimes what the producers of a drama like this think is the most interesting stuff is quite often the least interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. In summary, I think we're done. I, I think we are. I I wouldn't watch it again. I'm glad no. I watched it because I so I know what it is. It tells me a lot mm. about what the um, the whims and aspirations of the time were in terms of TV production mm. and what it was trying to sell. I think mm. it was massively misjudged as an ITV drama. Mm. Who wants something more like the Sweeney, more less less acting? How different would it have been if the like, BBC had made it? What would have been different about it, apart from maybe they wouldn't have driven the truck into it? I don't think in 1980 it would have been so East End. I mean, obviously they had East Enders and they went full throttle mm. for that later, but I think it, it doesn't feel mm. BBC. I mean, possibly BBC too. I don't think anyone else would have made it with all the songs in it. As you say, I think you're dead right about Trevor Preston being a frustrated songwriter, and it's just a terrible device all the way through. But I think there's a, a really strong eight-part series screaming to get out of this 13-part Mess. Series, <laughs> with tighter editing maybe and, and actually a, a shorter number of episodes it might actually have been more interesting weirdly I just don't think there's enough of a story in there but you get that I mean you get that with the eight part Netflix things now you know there's actually enough story for four episodes really mm. and then you get three episodes that are treading I water. think the problem I had was that I never believed in its central conceit that family mm. was important as it was that mm. Billy was the linchpin that you know the the fact that he was important and everyone loved him, and you you kind of mm. meant to believe the things that characters told us all the way through, but I didn't believe it. Well, you need evidence, of yeah, that, don't you? And you the need evidence to wasn't there. See that. You know, you show not tell. I mean, you're told that they're a big close family, but unless you'd actually had an, an, a previous episode or a previous series where you know they all got banded together against one. Common, I think the message is you know, just that family forgives everything, and it's okay to hit each other around. To call each other mm. slags and swine and what, and and that's okay because we're family and that's very much the EastEnders mm. message, and yeah. it's I just don't accept it. I don't buy that's what no. family should be about, and it's kind of this cozy cockney lie that I I mm. really struggle with swallowing. No, fair enough. <laughs> okay, I think are we pretty? Much I done? think we are, but okay. Thank you for for <laughs> coping with me ranting about Fox. It let it down to about 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, well, this is going to be a long one, folks. Sorry. Especially when I play all those damn songs in. <laughs> Two up for trouble. The, the album will be available. Dead. Yes. <laughs> Car park. We, Car park. We are criminals. <laughs> I've got all my bluffers with me. <laughs> but no women, because women are slags. Slags. Mary Peach. We're the lesbians. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Until the next time we meet for the glorious letter G, I have been Andy. Oh, good. G- yeah. I have been Andy. Good. And I've been Martin. You take care. Bye bye. I well remember the man who gave me my first job in the garden, Mr. Matthews. Never knew his other name. 
He was always Mr. Matthews, and he was quite a philosopher. I remember him once saying, a man can think himself fortunate if he can name three real friends. Well, I'm a very fortunate fellow indeed, because I've got a house full. And more than that, I've got a lovely wife and five sons that any man would be proud of. On a shop, all gone, shower blocks falling down, fish and chips, no cod, shally air. No God. Working class, that's a joke. Cup of tea, can of coke. Jelly deals, battery ends. National health, plastic pens. Mum and dad got divorced. And the kids, what's a call? Wedding dress, drip dry. Ever pint, get high. Losing. 